Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 44 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined today by the birthday man himself, fresh off of his big trip to Vegas and 33% of the way through the season, none other than friend in life, John Paulson. How's it going post-trip? Uh, doing great post-trip. Uh, my birthday was actually back in September. I just want to clear this up. September 5th. This trip oh. was in, celebra- in celebration of that. We didn't want to do a big party at the house, so we did the best we could in terms of getting uh, U2 tickets closest to my birthday as possible. And the closest we could get was October 7th. Obviously, a big ticket, a lot of demand. So we all went to Vegas. Some neighbors, some friends of mine uh, went to go see the show and had a great time. Uh, stayed through the Packer game. That was an abject disaster but uh, it was still fun to see the legion stadium and to uh experience a raiders win because those uh, don't happen very often i am someone who just will no longer go see you once you graduate to stadium performances because i hate shoulder to shoulder i also hate the errand of parking or taking an entire night out for an event having said that how was you two uh you two is excellent uh the sphere is this epic uh venue where there's this giant screen that basically is a almost a 360 screen and uh, they just did a really nice job with their set list and with uh using the the arena to its fullest and they did a really good job uh bono sounded great um and uh, i would go see it again that show well i'm glad you had a chance to refresh before diving into what is one of the most chaotic weeks We've experienced so far this year. And as always, before we dive in, everything we touch on today can be viewed in full with our discounts happening at 444.com right now. As I already mentioned at the top, we're 33% of the way through the season, but there is still a long ways to go. The waiver wire was actually the longest it's been all season long this week because of so many injuries and shakeups ahead of six teams on by next week quietly creeping up on everyone in week seven. So use the promo code YouTube for 25% off. And that's already going on top of a discount given that we are a quarter of the way through the year. So we begin Paulson with tonight's football game between the Broncos and the Chiefs, the Chiefs being 10 and a half point favorites. And let's start with the Broncos side of the ball because eventually someone will be scapegoated on this team. And it won't be Sean Payton given that they just traded draft picks for him. It's eventually going to be Russell Wilson. But that's kind of frustrating for me because, yes, Wilson is coming off the worst game under Peyton so far this year. But he has not been the problem. Ninth in completion rate. The Broncos are 10th in points per game. The offense has been humming along just fine, especially considering they aren't playing their best players consistently. The real key here is that the defense has been absolutely miserable but that keeps Wilson through the air, and that's what allows him to get so many fantasy points weekly. So your thoughts on the Broncos passing game against the Chiefs tonight? Yeah, it would be it would be curious if the Broncos decided to blame Russell Wilson for this and jettison him after the start of the season he's had. I think he's the QB8 in fantasy. Just one look at PFR, go to team defense, you start by yards. Denver Broncos, 2,253 yards allowed. The next highest is uh, the Steelers at 1,947. Yards per play, 7.0. Obviously, points against, 181 allowed by the Broncos. 160 is the next highest. 
Washington Commanders, uh, the Bears next at 157. So they need a defensive overhaul, uh, not really an offensive overhaul, and their running game is okay. They got some talented running backs. Uh, Wilson's playing fine. So, you know, I hope they recognize that and uh, really load up on the defense in the offseason. I don't think they, there's a lot that they can do this year. It's it's really bad uh, unit. And as you mentioned, the nice thing about it from a fantasy standpoint is that it's keeping uh, Russell Wilson and the Denver offense aggressive, and that's uh, helping his uh, numbers for sure. And for the time being, the target tree is still solely Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton, who you can trust until we get more usage from Marvin Mims, who, as I wrote in the waiver column, I still believe is a better rest of season stash than someone like Jamison Williams. If you just have someone on your roster who you can't play to this point, we'll talk about him more when we get there for the Broncos backfield though. I'm sure everyone is curious where you have Javante Williams ranked now that we're getting him back. Last week, Jaleel McLaughlin out-touched Samaji P. Ryan 12-10 as the featured player yet again got there because he's one of the most explosive backs in the league, literally leading all running backs and yards after contact per attempt. So how do you see this three-headed back shaking up? Yeah, I loaded up on uh, Jaleel McLaughlin in a couple of uh, leagues on FAB. Uh heading into last week and uh he helped me out uh but with williams back i like this is a tough backfield to sort of parse and i think it might end up being a three-headed backfield because even uh even as javante was you know limited on thursday i think he was full on friday he was questionable there was still discussion that even if he did play that mclaughlin was going to see a uh, expanded role so um, you can't deny the fact that he's been uh, on a per touch basis better than Williams has. Um, and, and, you know, due credit to Williams, he's coming back from a bad injury and, you know, probably wasn't expected to be hundred uh, percent at the start of the year or even at this point in the season. So uh, to answer your question, I have Williams at 30 this week. I have uh, McLaughlin at 31 and then I have uh P Ryan at 40. I think they're all viable flex plays, but I wouldn't trust, any of them to deliver RB1, RB2 type numbers this week. Let's move to the Chiefs side of the ball because Travis Kelsey is going to play tonight. Thus, we can take Noah Gray out of our lineups everywhere. But the key here is finding which receiver matters from Patrick Mahomes. And we're hoping it's a get-right spot against this Broncos defense, allowing you to do whatever you want through the air, considering that Mahomes hasn't gotten there really this either. Uh, his top three finishes so far this year, QB5, QB7, QB12. That's not what we were promised as consistently a top five week winning option that he clearly hasn't been to this point, given the poor receivers he's playing with. So how are you parsing these individuals tonight? Well, you know, I've been keeping my eye on Rushy Rice. Now, his role did expand. It was 18%, 51%, and 46% leading into last week. But then he only played 30% of the snaps last week. He still got there with a, a touchdown, four for 33 and five targets. He's seen at least five targets in four of the five games this season. Uh, he's been by far the most productive receiver for the Chiefs. He's leading the, the team in uh, PPR per snap, or the receiving core anyway, and yards per route run, 2.62 per route run uh, in yards per route run, and the 13th highest mark uh, in the league right now. And he deserves more playing time. 
I wouldn't say that he's trustworthy due to this low snap share, John, because you just don't know if he's going to get his four or five targets or more uh, when he's only playing 30% of the snaps. I think he should be playing more than half the snaps or more, but uh, he's just not seeing that consistent, uh, you know, playing time. But in this game, I, he's the one I would bet on of all these receivers other than Travis Kelsey, because he has been by far the most productive and seems to be a favorite target once he's on the field. Cause he is, he is seeing uh, pretty consistent usage once he's, uh, you know, on the field running routes. Everyone can judge for themselves if they're already at that point with their roster and desperate to start someone like Rashi Rice. But to your point, yes, he's the only one we're trusting right now. Sky Moore, very clearly droppable. Whereas Rasheed Rice, as you said, only 10 routes last week. Still a part-time rotational player, but to be targeted on half of those 10 routes is something we definitely look at. Not only that, but it has now led every Chiefs receiver in fantasy points in four of his five games. And that's as a part-time player. So that's the only one I am trusting and rostering moving forward. For the Chiefs' backfield, too, I think we've very clearly seen a shift towards Isaiah Pacheco, who is a fringe RB1, if not low end, especially with bye weeks on the horizon now. Because Pacheco, these past two weeks, his share of the team's backfield touches Those were his first and third highest marks of his entire career. It's been an entire shift towards we are only using him as Jarrett McKinnon continues to log only three touches per game and be completely unusable and unrosterable. Where do you have Pacheco ranked tonight? Yeah, I have him at RB13. And I was looking at this, you know, heading into this uh, live stream thinking uh, maybe he should be a little bit higher. I mean, this he's got the best matchup in the league this week against the in terms of AFPA. Uh, against running backs, the uh, Denver Broncos, yes, are 32nd, last in the league in uh, rushing fantasy points allowed, adjusted. And he has seen 20, on average, 20 touches per game the last two weeks, uh, which is, this is what we were sort of like hoping for, you know, as we headed into draft season, like, are they going to actually give him bell cow type touches, or at least clear, clear lead back type touches, you know, where you're getting to 18 touches per game. But now he's seeing 20 uh, fantastic matchup, running very well, and they're throwing him the ball. He's seen as many targets in the last two weeks as McKinnon four, so they're at least using him as a receiver as well. And you know, given the struggles of the uh, Kansas City receiving core to like sort of get a target tree organized between amongst them, uh, Pacheco is becoming sort of a, uh, a drop off, uh, dump off uh, option for Mahomes as well. So uh, you know, I really like him this week, especially against the, the Broncos. Moving on to London, where the Titans are relatively hosting the Ravens. And let's start with the Ravens side of the ball, because all of their dwindling injuries are keeping a concentrated target tree. Uh, Rashad Bateman, unfortunately, injured yet again, still just a part-time player as he continues recovering slowly into the year. Odell Beckham, didn't matter anyways, but still injured last week as well. And Zay Flowers and Mark Andrews are the only ones keeping their end of the bargain here. Uh, where do you have Zay Flowers ranked against this Titans secondary this week? Yeah, I wrote him up as a sneaky start this week. He's also popping in the week six breakout receiver uh, model. Uh, you know, just it, it was a it's a great example of the breakout receiver model because I I, I uh, tweeted it out and then I had somebody say, yeah, he's you know somebody like retweeted it and said I feel the same way about him because he's you know playing well in terms of 
you know, avoiding tackles and catching the ball and earning targets. And uh, let me just quote the guy who uh, said something funny. I feel the same way every week, but he's just been a mediocre with 12 to 13 points. And that's what the whole breakout receiver model is supposed to identify. Uh, players seeing high usage that are due for a touchdown and due for a big game. And that's how I feel about Zay Flowers. Uh, this week, the Titans are a uh, pass funnel. Uh, I know Zach Moss somehow went completely nuts on the mm -hmm. Titans we'll stingy rush defense last year. That was incredible, or last week. Uh, but I think in general, we know that the, the Titans are good on uh, against the run. Probably going to see a little heavier pass attack this week from uh, the Ravens, and that will benefit both Zay Flowers and uh, Mark Andrews. So I, I do really like Zay Flowers this week. I think I'm about 23 and half PPR. You have the utmost confidence in Zay Flowers this week, given that the Titans have also allowed the league's second most receptions to opposing wideouts. And it's Flowers who, as I mentioned, has soaked up 28% of the team's targets in his last three games. Those three games where his depth of target has actually increased in everyone too, as they continue to branch out his route tree. Even last week, over a 12-yard depth of target. So if now we're taking deep shots with a 28% target share, that's how a receiver explodes as the breakout model shows. For the Ravens' backfield, I know everyone's trying to parse through it, but the issue is it is still three-headed, and it's not even as if Justice Hill has been efficient whatsoever. Uh, he needs to score a touchdown to get there. Even the Ravens are bottom six still and targeting their running backs at the backfield, so it limits their ceiling. And Keaton Mitchell, small little Keaton Mitchell, who at least we know ran a 4-3-7-40 at the Combine, may be returning to just continue adding to this log jam. So where do you have these players ranked? Yeah, last week it was 12 touches for Gus Edwards in a run-only role, which is we've, we've seen him this in the past. He's not much of a pass catcher or you know a threat in the receiving game. Justice Hill with 11 touches, uh, seven carries, four receptions, and then got the uh, touchdown. So he ended up scoring significantly more uh, fantasy points than Gus Edwards. Uh, I, have, I have Hill at 35. I have Edwards at 38 this week. So they're they're just you know 10 to 12 touch type uh, backs in a you know a week. We have a couple teams on by, so you might want to use them as RB3 flex types. But the issue here is not just that they're splitting touches, but it's a pretty bad matchup against the Titans. Now, the Titans are showing up in AFPA as 20th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs because of Zach Moss's monster game last week. But otherwise, they've been very stingy against the run. So I don't know that. Uh, I mean, certainly Gus Edwards just as a run-only guy. I'm really kind of worried about him. Uh, Hill maybe as a pass catcher slash runner who might get the goal line carry as well. I'm a little bit more optimistic. For the Titans, it's fairly simple too because DeAndre Hopkins with Traylon Burks out the past two games, 27.6% target share, the only receiver that matters among this group whatsoever. But I think everyone's getting a little concerned about the backfield because after handling over 75% of the team's backfield touches in his first two games, we've now seen the last three weeks that Tajay Spears has created a 60-40 timeshare at least eight touches in four consecutive games and 37% of the team's backfield touches in his last three, taking away from Derrick Henry, who is still leading all running backs in yards per route run, but it doesn't matter when he's not running routes and not getting targets compared to Spears. So the way I look at it is that Spears has, especially with bye weeks now, entered the weekly flex option, PPR RB2 option, and that's where you need to go. 
Yeah, I think, you know, looking at Henry's game log, it, it's, it, you know, if he doesn't get it going right away, then they seem to shift to Spears and he doesn't end up with his usual 18 to 20 carries. I mean, two weeks ago against Cincinnati, he had 22 carries for 122 yards, one touchdown, had it going early and often. Uh, back in week two against the Chargers, they gave him 25 carries for 80 yards, not very efficient, but he got the workload and ended up with 28 touches total uh that seems like a long time ago and it's just i think it's one of these things where with derrick henry you have to run him out there this every week pretty much unless you're really loaded at running back and you hope that they get the running game going early and he can uh you know and stay competitive so that the, he could stay on the field uh spears is certainly you know in the last few years the the back that has offered the most competition for henry in terms of touches so you know we are worried about henry on a week-to-week basis but he also has 24 point upside like we saw in week four against Cincinnati for the commanders at the Falcons. We are getting more volume for Atlanta. Jesmond Ritter now over 30 pass attempts in his last four games, at least 37 in two of his last three. And that leads me to thinking this is finally a Drake London bounce back week. Wide receiver ones against the commanders. Washington's defense, of course, that has allowed the third highest rate of passing touchdowns so far. Marvin Mims, more than 13 and one. Stephon Diggs, eight catches for 111 yards. AJ Brown, 175 and two. And then, of course, on Thursday night, DJ Moore, 230 and three. It seems like it's Drake London's turn. So, where do you have London ranked this week? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's trending up, I would say, a little bit more confident in his target floor. Uh, eight in week two, six in week three, uh, seven in uh, week four, and nine in week five. Kyle Pitts is still leading uh, the team in targets, 32 to 31, uh, you know, this season. But, you know, nine and, you know, six, seven, nine, eight, six, seven, nine for, for London. He's starting to see some consistent usage. I think the, the issue is that there's, I mean, I don't know if you've pulled it up, but his on target catchable targets have been pretty bad. Uh, I think Pitts is the same way. It's just because Ritter's so, you know, haphazard with his uh, accuracy. I've got London, you know, uh, at 37. I think, you know, you bring up a good point about the wide receiver ones versus Washington. I might bump him up a few spots, maybe ahead of a Michael Thomas. Um, but he's not, it's just passing game. I still don't have a lot of confidence in just based on the, you know, maybe the volume's there, but the, you know, the target accuracy is not. And for Kyle Pitts and Jonu Smith, Jonu Smith, I still believe is the more consistent option right now. Kyle Pitts, of course, gets there last week on those 11 targets. Johnny Smith actually ran one more route than him and also still got there. So we'll see if this is something that continues for Kyle Pitts, but not necessarily someone I'm trusting at this time. For the commander side of the ball, what also makes me confident in the Falcons offense this week is that the way Sam Howe plays, which is not good, entails overs every single week. So far, Washington games have combined for an average of 54 points because all he does is hold on to the ball too long. He gets sacked. The offense gets the ball back. They score, and then the commanders are forced to put their foot on the gas and keep it there throughout the game. And now we at least think that Howe has found a comfortable target, not in one of his wide receivers, since that target tree is flattened out. Terry McLaurin, 16%, leading all of their wide receivers. But instead, it's Logan Thomas who has found a home here and he doesn't stick around forever, but when he burns, he burns bright. Now in his two games that he wasn't either injured in or returning for, he's led the team in targets in both of those contexts. 
27.5% in week one, 22.9% on a team I 11 targets this past week. And now gets an even better matchup than the Bears since the Falcons have allowed the third most fantasy points to opposing tight ends. So Logan Thomas, I was asked in the waiver wire discord, like, where are you ranking him? I mean, I was dropping Hunter Henry for him. Not that that's even important anymore. We got tight end two performances out of Hunter Henry through the first two games. And now, like every other tight end, we're just shuffling, trying to hit a spike week. But Logan Thomas, honestly, should be a top five, top six option this week. Yeah, I've got him at 10. Uh, you know, I would. There's, there's definitely name recognition of the guys ahead of him. Kelsey, Hawkinson, Andrews, Engram, Laporta, Kittle, Goddard, who finally showed up last week. Uh, Komet's been really hot. Uh, and then Darren Waller, who I think might be dinged up and, you know, iffy for this week. So, you know, I think Logan Thomas is certainly a tight end one, given this usage last week. Uh, Atlanta is 28th in adjusted fantasy points allowed uh, to the position. And he does seem to be a favorite target of Howell. I would just say with Howell, um, I, I think the early returns are mixed, but he has uh, started to run the ball a little bit more. He does uh, push the ball downfield. Some of his throws are very uh, impressive. I don't think he's to blame for the Washington's, you know, situation. I mean, the, the, the defense is pretty bad uh, as well. They're giving up the fourth most yards per play uh, as well. So that's, that's contributing to it. Uh, he is taking too many sacks, but uh, the other thing that with, with the, with the commanders, and I know people are grumbling about it is that this target tree is uh, it's, and I don't know if it's his fault. Howell, probably not. It's probably more. Uh, well, he's not the in enemy. charge of, Play the offense, yeah, yeah. The yeah. enemy is dialing up stuff where it just really seems to spread the ball around a lot. And we knew, I mean, there was, if you remember, John, in the in the in the summer, there was talk of Logan Thomas being such a big part uh, of the training camp, and you know, the you know the target targets that they were kind of charting in training camp, and we kind of saw this coming. And he's a lot athletic guy; he just can't stay healthy. So you don't, you know, you're streaming them uh, and you're hoping he can stay healthy for a few games before he uh, gets injured again. But um, McLaurin, uh, Dotson, and uh, Curtis Samuel, who I think was a really good sleeper heading into the summer. I uh, wasn't saying, you know, pounding the table for him saying he was going to lead this team in receiving room and fantasy points, but he is. Uh, and he also runs the ball a little bit. I think that helps his, his floor a bit. We discussed last week, options to start over Joe Burrow until we were proven that Joe Burrow was healthy. And that shows you how replaceable onesie positions are, which is why I never worry about losing out on them. Uh, As good as Joe Burrow was, and we'll get to that game soon, Sam Howe and Brock Purdy scored more fantasy points, two players we would start over Burrow, than Burrow. Russell Wilson only scored five fewer fantasy points. Another player we said we'd start. So if that five points lost you, your matchup, I apologize. But again, that's how replaceable onesie position is. Just keep that in mind whenever you're dreading a decision when you can just easily go to the waiver wire and grab someone to start over them. And where do you have, before we leave this game, Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson ranked? Jahan Dotson, who is... Borderline, not borderline, he is droppable on shallow benches, even though he is a player where if someone just says, I'm holding on to him for the touchdown equity, since that's what he's done to this point of his career, I'm completely fine with it, even though you can't start him right now. Yeah, I would say he's a bet on talent, a hold. 
uh, hoping that things sort of straighten out for for him in this passing game. McLaurin has been more involved. I've got him ranked at 36 this week, which is not very high. Atlanta has been really tough against um, against receivers. The third and adjusted fantasy points allowed to the position. They also like play shorter games with fewer drives and fewer opportunities. So that's the other issue with Atlanta because they run the ball uh, really well. Uh, but Dotson, I've got at 55. I've actually got Curtis Samuel at uh, 46, so I'm ranking Samuel ahead of Dotson. It might have been that way last week as well, just based on you know early returns of the season and, and usage and and Samuel's uh, usage in the running game as well. So yeah, I would say Dotson is droppable. I hate to do it, but I think he's a talented route runner, talented player. But the way this route tree is shaping up in Washington, he's just not trustworthy week to week unless you can get him in a nice matchup. Skip the trip to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy and affordable. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. It's also cheaper than grocery shopping and 25% less expensive than takeout. That means less stress, more money in your pocket and more time spent outside the kitchen. I nearly gave in to another expensive delivery receipt on my bank account the other day but decided to instead try one of the HelloFresh meals for myself. And 20 minutes later, two chickpea burgers with turmeric aioli and oven crisp potato wedges with oregano on the side. It's that easy. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50mostaccurate and use the promo code 50mostaccurate for 50% off plus free shipping to get started today. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Make Little Caesars, the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day. And now, you can score even more pizza with your pizza. It's easy. Just order online during Little Caesars Pizza Pizza pregame, one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs, plus all day Sunday, and become eligible for instant win prizes. And best of all, you pick the toppings you crave. I attended a live Scott Fishbowl draft over the summer and was convinced by a friend to try Little Caesars pretzel stuffed crust pizza with cheese sauce. And no hyperbole, it changed my life forever. Either way, everyone wins with Little Caesars convenient delivery or in-store pizza portal pickup. You can even pay for your pizza on the Little Caesars app and have your friends grab it on their way over to watch the game. That's how you enjoy a few slices during the tastiest hour before kickoff. Pizza, pizza. More memories are made when you're there for live NFL action. And when you need tickets, Ticketmaster's got you covered. As the official marketplace of the NFL, Ticketmaster gives you more ways to find your perfect seat. Their interactive seat map gives you 360-degree previews of your section to make sure you have the best views of those pivotal plays. And if your plans change, Ticketmaster gives you more flexibility to sell or transfer your tickets. Plus, Mobile tickets make getting in on game day a breeze. You can even customize your Ticketmaster app to rep your team's colors. Find tickets today at Ticketmaster.com NFL. PrizePix is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform and one of the most exciting ways to play DFS. And best of all, PrizePix is simple. Just choose between two to six players and pick more or less than their PrizePix stat projection. It's that easy, and you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. But it doesn't stop there. 
PrizePix even offers in-game projections. Imagine gathering at the house, watching football with all your friends, and building an entry to cheer for together, with more Devonta Smith receiving yards, or less Justin Fields rushing yards. Now, you can. Just go to prizepix.com accurate, and use the promo code accurate to match your first deposit up to $100. PrizePix, daily fantasy sports made easy. The 49ers and Browns is a game of many this week that we're looking out for weather. But if weather permits, I have much more confidence in an over on this 37 total and 49ers over 23 and a half point team total than a lot of people. Because we're at that stage of the year where we think we know, but we're still assuming too much. And right now, I think we're assuming the Browns are an elite defense when we actually do not know just yet because they look like the best defense in the league against an injured Joe Burrow who threw for only 82 yards in week one, Kenny Pickett and Ryan Tannehill. And then the only competent quarterback they faced before their bye, Lamar Jackson dunked on them for 9.7 yards per attempt and 28 fantasy points. And so since we know the Browns are running the eighth highest rate of man coverage, we also kind of know where to go. Like we think Brock Purdy can have success against them since all the 49ers do with him under center so far is score 30 plus points. And Brandon Ayuk is 11th in the league in yards per route run against man coverage too. So I actually love the 49ers offense compared to consensus in this game. Yeah, I'm not high on the, the Browns defense this week. I think the other issue is the Browns offense is very suspect. Um given the injury to Deshaun Watson. And even when he did play, uh, he hasn't been that great anyway. So I think 49ers are in a good spot. Uh, even if Cleveland is a very good defense, which, as you mentioned, we don't know for sure if they are or not, uh, the 49ers should have plenty of opportunities for drives because I don't think the Cleveland uh, Browns are going to be able to consistently put together long drives. So you're, you know, you're going to end up with a lot of possessions for the 49ers. They're going to have multiple cracks at this to figure it out. And, you know, if there's one coach who offensively has a scheme that can, you know, break any defense, it's probably Kyle Shanahan. So I, I would definitely look at kind of throw the numbers out the window with, with the Browns defense versus the, the 49ers offense and just trust that the 49ers offense will get it done provided the weather uh, holds. In terms of the over as well, putting PJ Walker under center just provides league average life as opposed to the moment Dorian Thompson Robinson was teetering towards being named the starter before their buy, all I did was run to sports books, literally every single app, and alt bet the Ravens minus seven and a half because we knew how Dorian Thompson Robinson would fare in an NFL game. And clearly he wasn't ready. But PJ Walker, at least, again, if you are even league average, that gives you a little more push. Not that I have confidence in... Amari Cooper, Elijah Moore, the list trickles down. So where do you have the Browns receivers ranked this week? And that assumes David Njoku's out, who was DNP on Wednesday after he released his photos of his burns that he somehow played through and played the best game, honestly, of his, of the year in week four. Uh, I would assume he's going to play if he played last week, but uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Um, I have Cooper at 31. Uh, the 49ers are okay against receivers they're 21st in just a fantasy points allowed to the receiver uh position um ford i have him at 26 uh jerome ford they're they're eighth against uh, running backs 
I mean, I think the other, the other issue here is that the 49ers tend to put offenses in a position where they have to be pass heavy. So that, uh, you know, the, the Browns receivers could get there in garbage time or just on volume alone. Uh, I don't have any other, I don't have confidence in any other Browns receiver other than Cooper as maybe a wide receiver three. And you can start drone forward, as you said, but it's not like you're starting him because of a matchup. You're starting him solely for the touches and probably you're in trouble. Uh, not a single running back has eclipsed 52 rushing yards so far against the 49ers. And Kyron Williams was the only one to score over 11 PPR points. And that's because he scored twice. Also was a more creative play caller than what's going on in Cleveland. So sure, I don't mind starting Jerome Ford. But again, that's probably only because I'm desperate and just don't have many options right now and spent so much on him on the waiver wire. For the Saints at the Texans, at least we know for the Saints, it's fairly clear. It is Chris Olave and Alvin Kamara. Kamara, who did out-touch Kendry Miller 24-7 to through three quarters last week, and then only then in the blowout did Kendry Miller t- out-touch Kamara 10-2 to in the fourth quarter. So if this is a competent game, I don't know if it will be, but if it is competitive, it's going to be all Alvin Kamara. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Olave had that little toe injury uh before last week's game, uh, kind of worked through it. Uh, they missed him on a, a long pass or two. He ended up getting there with a touchdown. He only had five targets, was which was uh, at least a four-week low. Uh, Michael Thomas uh, had seven, uh, but he's just you know sort of a move the chains uh, PPR type guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, floor guy. Uh, somebody you could run out there and during a bye week for ten points. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully we get a healthier Olave this week. It's it, you know last week was a little dicey. Uh, Kamara saw so many targets last week; it was sh- almost shocking uh, how many targets he saw, uh, and also got the rushing touchdown, I believe. So you know he's he's looking like an RB one rest of season the way things are going. Uh, Jamal Williams remains sidelined, so he's not vulturing any any touches or anything. So uh, I think you you hit the nail on the head there with uh, you know. Uh, Kamara and Olave are the two trustworthy options in this offense. And that includes a quarterback, which I don't, I don't have a lot, a lot of confidence with in Derek Carr. Like Ford, Damian Pierce, a touch-based option. Everyone is still starting if they need to over the bye weeks. But I think people are more curious about the passing game here because it seems like Tank Dell is going to be out in the concussion, concussion protocol. Robert Woods also left in game last week, which allowed Dalton Schultz to then lead the team in targets with 10. But really, it's a passing game that still flows through Nico Collins. So where do you have these individuals ranked? Yeah, I just wanted to mention on Pierce that he saw all 21 t- touches last week. And that was what we were we were griping about a, a few weeks ago was that he was splitting time with Devin Singletary and Mike Boone. So it seems like there's been a shift in that backfield where you can start him at least confidently that he's going to be touch-based uh, and get that volume that you're looking for. The offensive line for the uh, Texans seems to be getting a little bit healthier as well. So maybe this running game uh, can get going. Uh as far as the passing game with Tank Dell out, I do think that Dalton Schultz is suddenly a viable streamer. It's not a great matchup. The the Saints are second and just a fantasy points allowed to the position. But if he's seeing seven, eight targets because out of necessity, uh, then he's, you know, given the landscape at tight end, he's certainly a viable streamer. Um, and then Nico Collins, uh, I have him at 22. When the initial projections came out, I think I had him uh, in the top 15. I don't know that I have extreme confidence that he is uh you know going to he's do, he's doing battle with uh Marshawn Lattimore right 
And, uh, you know, Lattimore is a talented guy. The other, uh, Paul Sandibo is also pretty good on a fantasy points per route run basis in terms of, uh, you know, holding receivers down. So I don't have a ton of confidence in Nico Collins, but I think, you know, he's likely to see uh, the, the number one targets in this offense, seven to 10 targets this week. So he should have a decent game based on volume, but I don't think he's going to explode necessarily uh, given his matchups at, at the cornerback position. Moving on to the Panthers at the Dolphins. And let's start with the question of the week, because I'm sure everyone is curious where you have Jeff Wilson, who was limited on Wednesday and still needs to be activated to the 53-man roster in your rankings. Because I know everyone ran to waiver wires on deeper leagues to pick up Chris Brooks or Savan Ahmed instead of Wilson, just in case. But also, we have saw in weeks one and two, that's not how this backfield works. Even Ahmed, who was active in week one, only handled three touches to Raheem Mostert's 19. If Jeff Wilson's not active, A-Chan, of course, out at least through the team's week 10 bye, the touches don't go anywhere else unless it's a blowout, which it will be, uh, than to Mostert. So we're not really worrying about anyone else. But if Wilson's active, we already saw the game script last year. Wilson, in the seven games he played with Mostert, handled 51% of the team's running back carries, and both he and Mostert got there. 10.5 PPR points per game for Mostert, 10.3 for Wilson. So where do you have him ranked, assuming he's activated this game? Yeah, and I think uh, this summer I agreed with you that Wilson was a, certainly a threat and might be the RB1 if it was a Wilson-Mostert backfield. Uh, then we had the injury. You know, they, they struck out on all their trade you know, opportunities and they ended up not signing anyone. So we were heading into the season with uh, Mostert, Wilson, Achan, et cetera. And we weren't exactly sure who was going to be the RB one. I mean, the indicators were based on previous games that it might be Wilson or at least a 50, 50 split. So that being said, heading into this game, uh, you know, I have, I'm very confident in Mostert. I have him in the top 10. I have him at seven and a half PPR. The, the, the Panthers are 30th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. Now, the question with Wilson is not how do they view him long-term relative to Mostert? It's how do they view him this week coming off of a four-week uh, stretch? I believe he's got two, he's on the injury report with two different injuries than what he was on IR for. Uh, so I don't know what's going on there, if that's related to, uh, his IR stint or not. Um, so I've got him at 33 right now as a non-confident RB3. If, if he if he does play, I don't think he'll see the usual Jeff Wilson-Mostert split. Uh, I think we'll see Mostert in the lead role unless he's you know gets dinged up or something or there's a blowout. Um, I, I just don't think they're going to ramp him up that quickly uh, given the, the new injuries that he's got. I think he's viable as a you know an RB three flex type given the matchup and the propensity, you know, the probability that this is a blowout. Um, Ahmed is working his way back as well. And he's looked pretty good when he's had opportunities. I've got him at 43 right now. I, I, I haven't ranked Brooks. Uh, I don't think uh, this, this season. Um, so I'm, I'm leaning on those three guys. If I'm, if I'm looking at this Miami running game right now. And it's not sneaky. Everyone's starting him, but just a thought that's been running through my head is maybe a chan being out helps Waddle even more because we saw last year, whenever two was on the field in those 13 games, Waddle average still 
second by a mile to Tyreek Hill, 32.5% target share. But Waddle averaged 22% of the team's targets. And in week one, we saw an 11.8% target share. And the Dolphins right now have the seventh highest rate to their backfields in terms of passing to their running backs. And so if that's the case and we're removing A-Chan from that target tree, maybe it's Waddle who did see, you know, team high target share last week, four end zone targets as well. Maybe it's the pendulum that swings back in his favor as more of a ceiling player than a weekly roller coaster. So something I'll be monitoring as well. I'll talk more about that on the DFS show on Friday. For the Panthers, especially if we're considering this a 20-point blowout, it was pretty easy because it's only Adam Thielen. Ten, wide receiver 10 and PPR points per game so far, despite playing with Bryce Young. That alone, you win some kind of award. But what we've seen so far in practice is that Miles Sanders is DNP on Wednesday and Thursday. And the argument against this backfield as a whole was that Sanders is the RB36 in points per game. Hubbard has been the RB46. As long as both are healthy, no one gets there and you can't start them because they don't matter in this offense from Bryce Young. But with one of them out of the way now, especially the one who's been worse, I would imagine we get really excited on Chuba Hubbard. So I need you to guesswork some live ranking updates because so far, Miles Sanders, five forced missed tackles on 63 carries. Hubbard, 10 forced on half of that, 35 carries. Where would you have Hubbard ranked if Sanders is out? Uh, right now, I'm, I'm assuming a banged up Sanders plays, uh, and, and I've got Hubbard at 28 and Sanders at 36. Now, if Sanders is ruled out, Hubbard is moving up into probably the 20 to 24 range, uh, just as a volume based play. But you know, how many times are they going to run the ball against the Dolphins? I mean, the Dolphins are 26 and just a fantasy points allowed to running backs, so they're not good against the position. Uh, so he might get there as a receiver and, you know, a handful of carries or whatever. But I don't if, – if they're trailing but 21 nothing in the middle of the second quarter, are they still trying to establish a run with with Hubbard? Uh, so I, I would – I think in my own personal league, I'm, you know, very thin at running back. You only have to start one running back. So I've got Miles Sanders. i got Chuba Hubbard. Chuba Hubbard. I've got Jaleel McLaughlin. And I think of those three, I would start Hubbard this week, even not knowing what – uh, Sanders is going to do uh, this Sunday. So certainly if Sanders is out, Hubbard moves into that RB2 conversation. Moving on to the Seahawks at the Bengals. We saw enough from Joe Burrow to believe he's healthy. At the same time, though, I'm not fully confident just yet. I am not buying in until what I see from this game. Because as we expected, unlike the Titans like we talked about last week, who blitz Burrow in week four on 33% of his dropbacks, that Cardinals defense, and we'll talk about that when we get to the Rams, continues to be one of the softest and worst ones in the entire league. And even Burrow from a clean pocket went 33 of 41 for 309 yards. But when he was under pressure, and mind you, the Cardinals are creating the league's lowest pressure rate. When he was under pressure, though, still the same guy. Three of five for 1.6 yards per attempt. So. If the Seahawks, who are coming off 11 sacks, I attribute that to playing the Giants, not from what they've done, but coming off 11 sacks and are getting Devin Witherspoon, Tariq Woolen, and Jamal Adams back, if they can create pressure, I still wonder, honestly, about the ceiling of this offense. But where do you have Burrow ranked this week, and do you think T. Higgins will play? 
Uh, I've got him at 11, uh, you know, behind Stafford uh, against Arizona, who you mentioned, 32nd adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks, behind Cousins, uh, which that worries me a little bit with this. We, we haven't seen Cousins play without Justin Jefferson in a while. Uh, he's their 29th, uh, the Bears are, and adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. Seattle's also, you want to talk about weather, uh, boots on the ground here. I have to go running in the morning because it's supposed to rain every night through Monday. And as we know, only Washington and Soldier Field have like the two worst conditions possible whenever it's bad weather. That's why the total has literally dropped six points since opening. Uh, so Burrow might be moving ahead of Cousins, or I should say Cousins probably falling uh, below Burrow and perhaps more players based on the weather situation there. Uh, Seattle is has been a pass funnel. Uh, they're third or fourth best in rushing yards allowed, uh, second or third worst in passing yards allowed. So the, Burrow has that going for him in terms of probably not going to be able to run the ball very well with Mixon, even though he's going to see a lot of, you know, 20 touches for sure. Uh, so I think, you know, I think Burrow last week, you know, showed that he was a little bit healthier and could put up a good game here against the Seahawks. Not uh, the dire circumstances where we have him ranked as a mid-range uh, QB2 or high-end QB2. He's more of a low-end QB1 for me this week. For Joe Mixon, it's just not even his fault, but we kind of know exactly what's going to happen every single week. He's going to get every single touched. Even since week two, he's handled all but eight of the team's backfield touches. Literally over 90%, he's getting everything. But this offensive line, and a little bit's on him, is just so poor that we still have to question his ceiling every week. They even tried. It's it's a little bit Zach Taylor, if not a lot of it, Zach Taylor too. They even tried to, to run it on, fourth, on first and goal four different times, and Mixon, of course, can't even punch it in because that's not the offense. So he's easily an RB2 based on touches. But whether he like actually delivers that in ceiling, I have my doubts all year long. Yeah, I've got him at uh, 12 this week, and I think I'm going to move Pacheco above him uh, heading into tonight. Uh, and he's he's a volume-based, you know, RB2, high-end RB2, low-end RB1, depending on the matchup. And this matchup isn't that great uh, against Seattle. I mentioned that they're pretty good against the run. He is getting so much work. Uh, he's catching passes as well, which is one of the concerns with him. He, he's not a good pass blocker, but they're using him as a receiver. Um but Seattle on paper looks okay. 22 and adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. Uh, so I think he might get there with a touchdown. But uh, in terms of yardage, we're not expecting much more than the 60 yards uh, rushing and maybe 15 to 20 yards uh, receiving. And I'm sure everyone is curious, if T. Higgins plays, and he was limited in practice so far this week, where would you have him rank? We're playing Jamar Chase regardless. We don't need to talk about Jamar Chase, who is back to save our seasons after being unplayable through week three. Uh, but what about T. Higgins? Yeah, I mean, Higgins hasn't really been great. Didn't he have the one uh, good game uh, with a couple touchdowns? And then outside of that, it's been uh, kind of an adventure with him in terms of uh, catches. Uh, two catches in back-to-back -back games. Uh, he had two catches against uh, Tennessee, only played 51% of the snaps, so that's where he got injured and left. Uh, and then in week two, he had eight for 89 and two touchdowns. And then again, in week one against Cleveland, he had a goose egg. Uh, so I wouldn't, you know, we 
I wouldn't have him ranked super high. Seattle is last in the league and adjusted fantasy points allowed to receivers. So the matchup would be there. I probably would have him in this, uh, you know, Jordan Addison, Michael Pittman, Nico Collins, Christian Kirk uh, type range here with uh, in the wide low end wide receiver two uh, rankings for Higgins. He could explode uh, given the matchup, but, you know, health and his kind of inconsistency this season uh, doesn't instill a whole lot of confidence. For the Seahawks, there's a little bit of recency bias he baked in since they only needed 20 pass attempts the last time we saw them against that miserable Giants team. And DK Metcalf told us over his bye week, told media that he's been playing through a ribagery through week two. I am thinking that's maybe why his target share has dipped so low, 17% so far. But now a little bit of a explosive game if we happen to get some pushback from the Bengals offense. So are you going back to the well with both Lockett and DK Metcalf with confidence here? I would say DK Metcalf. Yeah. I think he's been uh, a little bit better uh, in terms of his consistency. Lockett had the two touchdown game and then he's had two for 10, three for 34 and four for 54 on four, seven and six targets. So he had the huge game against Detroit probably helped you win your week that week. Uh, but he's been under 10 fancy points PPR in the other three games. I think coming out of the bye, though, that the, maybe this sh- passing game gets – the ship gets righted. We don't have – in the last two matchups against uh, Carolina, uh, who they could run on at will. Giants, as you mentioned, uh, just not a good team in general in terms of pushback. Cincinnati could push back, and this could be – this is kind of a sneaky shoot, uh, shootout. So I think Lockett is a viable wide receiver – a good wide receiver three, uh, and Lockett – or. Uh, uh, Metcalf is probably a mid-range to high-end uh, wide receiver too. I think coming out of the bye, he should be healthier and has a chance to explode. Bengals also stuffing running backs the line of scrimmage at the league's lowest rate, allowing the most yards per carry and highest rate of 10-yard runs as well. So as everyone knows to this point, you easily start Ken Walker because his boomer bust profile signifies a boom here. But I am watching and curious about both Jackson Smith and Jigba's and Zach Charbonnet's usage, considering we're now post by same for Quentin Johnston. And we do wonder if they start working in their rookies, which is historically shown us that teams do post by something to monitor for the Colts and the Jaguars. I think we finally have reached Jaguars stealing week, given that, in their last three games, Trevor Lawrence has an 80% completion rate against the Colts. And also this Indianapolis secondary allowing the third highest completion rate for 12 and a half yards per catch on throws 10 yards deep. We're also whittling down the target tree, given that Zay Jones is not supposed to play in this game. And thus, we can easily look to Calvin Ridley and Christian Kirk. Kirk especially, who has recorded the sixth most catches against zone coverage, which the Colts are playing the league's second highest rate of and 25th in yards per route run against zone coverage. Even when the Jaguars played the Texans earlier this year, and they played the second highest rate of zone coverage that week, Kirk spiked 654-1. So I think it's going to be, not a hot take, an amazing game for both Ridley and Kirk. Yeah, would you rank uh, Ridley ahead of Kirk, or do you think you'd have Kirk ahead of Ridley this week? We've been seeing some splits with Ridley against man and zone coverage, and the Texans so far have played primarily man defenses, or the Jaguars have, in three of their last five games. So given that we are yet again dwindling down this target tree, I am going to guess that it's a Ridley week, but I still have the utmost confidence in Kirk. 
Yeah, I think they're both very startable as, you know, high-end or low-end wide receiver twos. I've, that's where I've got Ridley right now at 12. I've got uh, Kirk at 23. Maybe they should be a little bit closer, though, given those uh, zone uh, splits that you mentioned for Kirk. He's been really good this this year, Kirk, after kind of a slow start. And the fact that Zay Jones is out uh, also, I think, boosts uh, Evan Ingram, who's been very viable as a tight, uh, you know, pretty solid tight end one. Kind of boring production, but you get, you get you know, pretty solid uh, targets out of him every week. Colts also eighth most catches allowed to opposing tight ends. So if we're whittling down the target tree, it's three guys. And that's great for all of us. Uh, Ridley also, remember, had his highest target share of the year, over 34% in this last matchup in week one. And it's fun because the player I got wrong the most this offseason is definitely Travis Etienne. Because even the one role he didn't have, like third among all running backs in touches per game, fifth in route participation, the one role he didn't have inside the 10-yard line, inside the five-yard line, he now, I believe, has because the Jaguars have activated all four running backs, Jermichael Hasty and Dearness Johnson included the past two games, and yet it's ETN now, these past two weeks, who has handled the only running back touches, all three of them, inside the 10-yard line, including two goal line touches in that span. So if that's the case, like we are seeing ETN now pave his own way to a top five RB finish. Yeah, 113 uh, touches on the year in five games. That's 22.6 uh, touches per game, 18 catches, which was what we were, you know, not arguing about, but lamenting uh, this summer, talking about his upside was that they just didn't use him as receiver. Then they signaled to us that they wanted to limit his workload by drafting, not only just saying that, like, oh, right, but drafting Tank Bigsby, uh, signing Dearness Johnson, who had a good, season a couple years ago for the Browns who we you know thought he could take some of the load off too then they turn around and they're now just riding him like a workhorse and that's great for everybody who drafted him had confidence in his talent uh, surpassing these other guys uh, I was certainly worried about usage uh, in the passing game and then goal line uh, opportunities with these other guys a guy named Tank in the backfield of course they're going to give him goal line opportunities uh, but I think uh, he's a top five, top seven back every week, even in bad matchups, just due to this overwhelming workload. Let's get to the Colts backfield because in the first game for Jonathan Taylor, I was cheering because not only did the player get paid, which is all I care about now since the passion of the NFL has been stripped from my soul and working at it every day, but the player got paid and the player who didn't get paid exploded. Because Zach Moss has been awesome. And we do think, given Taylor's $42 million, his role has to increase every week. But they can't take Moss off the field, Paulson. He's been too good. Only Bijan Robinson has more 10-yard carries than Moss. The Titans hadn't allowed, as you touched on earlier, 67 rushing yards to any running back through week four. And Moss pasted them for 165 and seven yards per carry. They can't take him off the field. And so now I actually think it limits Jonathan Taylor's ceiling for the rest of the year. So week two, where do you see Taylor's workload going and where do you have him ranked? So I want to start with a question to you. What do you think the odds you would have gotten in Vegas against you saying Zach Moss has been awesome this year? <laughs> I, on the recap show, uh, I compared it to Devontae Foreman's career turn because remember, in his first two years, Devontae Foreman really looked like, like Zach Moss, he was just going to be out of the league. 
nothing clicked at all. But he came back and he like turned his career around to be an explosive player for a small stint of time. But there were a couple years there where he was awesome. And dude, I, I don't get it. I don't know where it comes from, but you you can't take Zach Moss off the field. You can't. Yeah, so uh, just to answer your original question with Moss versus Taylor. So this is one of the big questions like heading into the next few weeks, right? Like when a, Mo when a player is playing like Moss is playing, how do you decide you're going to give uh, Taylor 12 or 15 touches when he, you know, he had six for six for 18 last week, didn't have a lot of time to sort of ramp up. They're saying they're going to ramp him up this week. Like they're going to ramp up his workload. We're probably going to see more touches for him. So that does adversely affect Moss's opportunities. The matchup uh, is not great uh, from an AFPA standpoint. The Jaguars are second in just a fancy points allowed to the position, but the running game is just blew away a, a really good running defense and the Titans. So are we really worried about that at all? So I, you know, I think Moss is a RB2. Um, I think if you have him and you're just, you know, you're trying to decide between him and maybe, a, you know, Rashad White or a Brian Robinson or Ramondre Stevenson, I think I would just ride the hot hand and stick with Zach Moss. Um, but just know that they're, they just signed Taylor to this monster deal. Um, and Moss is out playing him right now. Now that may not last. Is Moss a better long-term prospect than Jonathan Taylor? Probably not. Um, but he's proven that he can deliver uh, in a span of time here and uh, continues to do so. So I would just keep riding the hot tan in most cases, unless I'm, you know, dealing with a you know, Pacheco option or, you know, maybe a Saquon Barkley coming back because we know he's talented, et cetera. But there is a chance that they just decide, okay, we're paying Taylor. Let's give him half the carries. I don't think it happens right away, especially if Moss continues to produce. I think they're going to be like sort of waiting for Moss to have a bad five for 15 or five for 10 type spell. And then they're going to start giving Taylor some opportunities to sort of take the job back. For right now, I agree. You do start Moss, even if he handles, which we expect him to, fewer than those 25 touches this past game, because we're in a situation with a lot of players where. 18 touches, 15 to 18 for Moss is still better than Najee Harris. I'd still start him over Damian Pierce, for example. Um, we're done just playing guys only because they get touches. We're moving on to explosive players. That's how the NFL works now. For the Colts passing game, too, I'm sure people have questions. And I think you and I both like both Michael Pittman and Josh Downs. What we've seen so far is I'll have I'll take Pittman. I'll let you take Downs because Pittman has averaged a team high 30.3% target share from Gardner Minshew this year. And that's where the Jaguars get beat from the outside. Top three in yards per catch and receiving yards per game allowed to opposing boundary receivers. And Josh Downs, of course, someone whose opportunity has also surged from Minshew. Yeah, I tweeted out this morning, uh, from the from the uh, sneaky starts uh, right up with uh, with Downs is that he's he's seen the second highest target share uh, in the league. I'm sorry, in for the team from uh, Minshew's 83 pass attempts, he's seen a 24.1 percent. Uh, Pittman's only the only player higher in that team, 28.9 uh, percent. So I have Downs as at wide receiver 40. I don't know that you know he's got a great chance at a touchdown. 
But with Minshew in there instead of Anthony Richardson, they're going to throw the ball more than they would have otherwise. That increases opportunities for everyone. His accuracy is pretty good, Minshew's. So I think, you know, Pittman's a very viable wide receiver to play. And I think Downs, you know, high, high end wide receiver four, low end wide receiver three type this week. The Vikings at the Bears, which I mentioned earlier, the total continues sinking because we're expecting miserable weather. But there are still some important lineup decisions here. Let's start with Jefferson's injury because, as you touched on earlier, we have not seen a large sample at all without Jefferson on the field. Kirk Cousins only 12 pass attempts last year with Jefferson off the field and the average 5.8 yards per attempt and a 58% completion rate, whatever that means. At the same time, though, we do still have faith. I still have faith in Jordan Addison because Addison's the one who has earned two more targets than KJ Osborne despite running 36 fewer routes. He's the one who also scored the touchdown. I am fine with Osborne if you need that floor play. We're all we all have different teams. We're all in different situations, some of us more desperate than others. But I don't want to elevate Osborne suddenly to like wide receiver three territory. Maybe in this matchup against the Bears, if the weather permits, but I don't want to suddenly make him what he isn't. Since out of 105 receivers with 10 targets this year, he's 95th in targets per route run. Like this is not who he is to suddenly be elevated. Whereas I believe that's Addison's profile. So what I told everyone so far in like my chats, Paulson, was that I have the utmost confidence in Jordan Addison the rest of the season, but I'm still wary on Osborne outside of being more than a flex option. Your thoughts? Yeah, I wrote them both both up as sneaky starts. Uh, you know, Addison had a, has had a quiet week or two here. Uh, at, you know, pending the weather, and you mentioned it, so we got to really keep an eye on that if you want to start one or both of these guys. Uh, I certainly favor Addison. He's uh, he's outsnapped 91% to 67% on the season. Uh, by Osborne, but he's out-targeted Osborne 29 to 26. So his target, you know, targets per route run is are great. He's outgained him 249 to 166. He's averaging 1.49 yards per route run to Osborne's 0.82. So you know, we think and we probably know that Addison is a better player, but both players uh, could still produce given the fact that Justin Jefferson and his 10 plus targets uh, are you know are out of the offense. The one thing I'll say about Osborne is that you know, yes, he hasn't. I think the the Part of the reason he's not earning a lot of targets is because Addison and Jefferson are earning, and Hawkinson for that matter, are earning a lot of targets. If they need him, I think if they call upon him, I think he can deliver. He's had 20 career games where he saw at least five targets. He's averaged 4.7 receptions for 59 yards, 0.6 touchdowns. Uh, and it seems likely that he's going to see consistent five-plus tar target usage uh, with Justin Jefferson out. So I do think he's a viable low-end wide receiver three, certainly in this matchup against the Bears. And we'll see moving forward, but certainly a lot more uh, excited about Jordan Addison's upside in this offense with Cousins. And as for Cousins, um, I, as you were talking about his uh, very few splits with Jefferson off the field, we've seen, uh, you know, Stefan Diggs going to the Bills and elevating, helping to elevate Josh Allen. We've seen A.J. Brown going to the uh, Eagles and helping to elevate Jalen Hurts. Taking away Justin Jefferson from Kirk Cousins could certainly hurt him more than we're sort of projecting. I mean, I think we think that Addison can step up, Osborne can step up, Hawkins can step up, and we'll get the same Kirk Cousins. But we might see Kirk Cousins version 2.0, which might not be as good as version 1.0. You say more than we're projecting, but I'm projecting them to get benched. So I don't know <laughs> if 
don't know if it can be worse than what I am personally projecting. Uh, for the Vikings' backfield, too, it trended the way we thought it would. Madison with 80.8% of the team's backfield touches until K-Makers was required the last two games now. He's gotten there on a receiving touchdown in both, but week four, 72%. Last week, a season-low 55% of the team's backfield touches. It's become a timeshare, and they're running the ball so uh, poorly that the timeshare just means these two are cannibalizing one another and not a good situation for either. On the Bears' side of the ball, for the Chicago backfield, lots of questions as well. Roshan Johnson, as of Thursday, still in concussion protocol. Deontay Foreman, Luke Getze has already said, will be active and play. And I'm curious which side of the fence you fall on because I am on the fence that I believe Roshan Johnson will get a majority of the touches if he's active. And he's been explosive so far. Khalil Herbert has 52 carries to Roshan's 25, and Roshan still only has two fewer 10-plus yard runs. If he gets the opportunity, he's been good. But maybe, and this is the other side, Deontay Foreman is active and plays the same role as Herbert in taking all of neutral game script touches and Roshan is still just that guy who led the team in targets and carries from trailing by eight-plus points. So which roles do you think these two players will have? Yeah, and I think the big question is with the concussion. Uh, usually if a, a player is concussed in, in week uh, you know, X, uh, they don't play in week X plus one. Uh, Roshan got concussed on a Thursday night, so that gives him an extra few days to get cleared, which is why I have him in the rankings right now. But I'm, it's more of a hopeful ranking. And I know if I didn't have him in there, I'd be getting tons of questions about where would you have Roshan Johnson if he were, if he were healthy enough to play. So I just have him in there. I have him at 18, and I don't. That's not a confident 18 in terms of his touch share. I do think that he would be the lead back. I agree with you there, John. Um, but I'm not like. I would not be shocked at all if Foreman came in and had more carries uh, and more touches overall than, than Johnson, especially in a, in a weather game uh, where they may have to run the ball a lot more than what, you know, they would normally. So uh, we're definitely keeping an eye on the weather. We're keep, keeping an eye on Roshan Johnson's uh, concussion protocol uh, as he goes through it. If he's out, then Foreman looks like a strong, you know, RB two just suddenly off the, 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 uh, you know, the practice squad or whatever he was deactivated uh, and, and now is going to be thrust into a pretty big role as the lead back in a game where the, the bears are likely to be pretty run heavy due to the weather. Speaking of the weather, before we leave this game, where do you have Justin Fields rank? Because we've seen the past two games, perfect matchups against the commanders and the Broncos. And at least on Thursday night, double digit design runs for fields. They're running the offense correctly, but if it's weather, it takes me back to week one last year in the monsoon against the 49ers where Fields, 120 passing yards, still threw two touchdowns, but even then 11 carries for 28 yards. And then that Christmas game against the Bills where it was sideways snow, negative three degrees, and then he had 119 yards and a passing touchdown, didn't get there on the ground either. Yeah, I think the the, the benefit for the defense when the weather's like that is that they can – pay extra attention to fields as a runner and he's not able to break, you know, long ones uh, based on his ability to stretch the field or throw the ball downfield. So uh, if the total keeps dropping um, fields is going to fall in the rankings a little bit. He's at five right now. Minnesota's 20th adjusted fantasy points allowed. 
uh, to quarterbacks. But, you know, if we're getting into one of these really bad weather games, I certainly would want to start Tua or Trevor Lawrence or Justin Herbert over him and perhaps a Matthew Stafford who's playing in a dome uh, and maybe even a Joe Burrow. Uh, if we're getting to a point where we're looking at fields as a 100 to 20 to 150 passing yard type guy uh, and they're able to load up and keep an eye on him uh, as a runner, uh, then just the upside's not there to justify a QB5 sort of ranking. For the Patriots, the Raiders, I don't care. The Raiders are three-point favorites. Josh Jacobs getting 90% of the team's touches, uh, and they'll probably win this game because the Patriots' offense, one red zone trip their last three weeks. They haven't scored 20 offensive points in any game so far this year. Mac Jones has been bitched in back-to-back games. Ramondre Stevenson's the RB34 in points per game. So, if you want to talk about anyone here, Stevenson included, what you're doing with them, by all means, I don't care though. I, I love the attitude. Uh, you just don't care. Uh, this I do game think Hunter- ends your life. This game takes your soul. <laughs> do not watch this game. Yeah, don't watch it. Uh, you could you could deploy a Hunter Henry as a tight end streamer. Uh, Vegas is uh, 27th just a fancy points allowed uh, to the position. Uh, other than that, you know, you mentioned Josh Jacobs. I'm not. I don't have a lot of confidence in Ramondre Stevenson at this point, even though the uh Raiders are a good matchup uh, he's just splitting time with uh Ezekiel Elliott uh the offense is bad uh so the only other thing I would mention on this is that I did pick up the Raiders defense for the first time I think in the history of of my fantasy career and I'm going to stream them this week against the Patriots at home uh you know that is a good environment there uh, there'll be a lot of I don't know I was I was wondering I as I was sitting there, I'm like, how many Patriots fans are going to come out to Vegas for this game after the start they've had? They're not going to, are they going to cancel their trips or are they going to show up and, you know, hopefully will them to a win and, you know, try to get back into the playoff hunt uh, out there in the, you know, AFC East. Absolutely miserable. Oh, one thing I do want to note from this game, actually, because I put it in the waiver column is that for these deeper leagues tied in premium, Michael Mayer is interesting because he ran more routes than Austin Hooper for the first time all year. And I know you see three targets, 39 yards, but that was still as a part-time tight end because it was still 16 routes to Hooper's 13. We think his role increases. And those 39 receiving yards are more in any single game this year than Austin Hooper had. Hooper had only reached 20. So you would think Mayer's role grows. And like as an Every down explosive tight end in college, that's the kind of profile we want to chase in deeper leagues. So I like Mayer quite a bit and did go quite heavy in tight end premium leagues on the waiver wire for him. Just something to look out for. For the Lions at the Buccaneers, what we're seeing now is Jameer Gibbs, yet again DMP with his hamstring injury, and David Montgomery becoming an every touchback. 22 carries per game, but more importantly, even at 109 yards and a touchdown last week against the Panthers, like that was his floor. Uh, If it wasn't such a blowout and they were taking him off the field for Craig Reynolds in the fourth quarter, it could have been so much more. So Montgomery, I would have to think you have as a incredible RB1. Yeah, I took some, I don't know if that was flack, but a lot of questions preseason about why I had Montgomery at RB19. Uh, heading into draft season. And it, it just seemed clear. And I, I was high on Gibbs too. Like I thought I thought for sure that they, they would go run heavy. They would use Gibbs a lot as a receiver. They spent so much draft, draft capital on him that they would have to use him. I just felt like the running backs would take more of a, 
a bigger share of the offense. Uh, but that really hasn't happened. It's been, well, I mean, Montgomery has been outstanding. He's my RB three or four this week. I think he's a, a great play. He's obviously been great on the year when, when healthy and they just are basically using their number 12 draft pick as a complimentary player in the backfield when they had somebody similar in DeAndre Swift. It's just also confusing to me as to why they use the draft capital on them on a player like that and then not use him uh, to his to the fullest. So here we are. Uh, Montgomery rock solid, probably going to be a league winner this year as long as he stays uh, healthy, basically filling that uh, Jamal Williams role with a little bit more explosion, getting as many touchdowns, etc. cetera. Uh, the only concern I think I have for the Lions offense in this one uh, is that now we have Jared Goff on the road. Jared Goff on the road has not been as good as Jared Goff at home. Uh, this week, the, the Buccaneers, they're, 20, they're second in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterback. So I wouldn't be surprised if he struggles a bit, uh, but he is getting uh, Amon Ross St. Brown back, it appears, which helps. And he does have, obviously, a good weapon at tight end with Sam LaPorta, who's been the best rookie uh, tight end in a while. Uh, so I think he could get there as a you know mid-range high-end QB2, but I don't have as much confidence as I do uh, when he plays in Detroit. Amonra St. Brown expected to be back, but even with Amonra healthy, we saw outside of that groin injury game, Josh Reynolds, who yet again got there last week, is averaging over 17 PPR points per game. I'm still, especially with bye weeks, especially with six teams on bye in week seven. So by the way, if you haven't looked at that yet, I would go to your app, wherever you play on right now, click next week and make sure you have bye weeks covered too, because it's not too early to grab some players just to pad for those buys. But Josh Reynolds, I still consider a flex option with the bye weeks. Um, anyone else to take account for here at the Lions offense, especially a Monra who's coming back from injury? No, I mean, I think Jamison Williams he made his return. Uh, we, a lot of hype about him coming out of college. Maybe he gets his career back on track, but just didn't do much at all. I think he had two targets uh, last week. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, the funny thing about Josh Reynolds is you know, he went four for 80 week one, five for 66 in week two. And then, you know, everybody's recommending to start him uh, in week three. He has the goose egg and we're all getting yelled at. Uh, but, you know, yeah, I think he had a hamstring injury. He's still kind of battling injuries, but three for 69 on six targets against the the, uh, the Packers in week four. And then another four for 76 and a touchdown on five targets against Carolina. And he only played 47% of the snaps. I assume that was due to the score. Uh, need to check into that. Uh, Every, just make everyone, sure. everyone played like the bare minimum usage. Uh, they just didn't deploy any one wide receiver for over eighty percent of routes. And uh, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, you know, the Bucks are sixteenth in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running back, so Detroit should be able to control this one in the running game. Uh, they have a very strong running game, so that's not a bad matchup for them at all. I do expect some throws here, so I do think uh, Reynolds is a viable wide receiver, low end wide receiver three, high end wide receiver four. Uh, St. Brown, I think, is low end wide receiver one. I don't think there's anybody else other than Laporta, who's rock solid tight end one. I mean, uh, that you that you need to worry about in the passing game. He's a more confident start than George Kittle every week. Kittle will have ceiling games, but Sam Laporta is so consistent. One of five tight ends that like, I mean, he's going, he could finish the tight end one overall, honestly. More, more confident than Goddard too, even, you know, even though Goddard oh, came yeah. back and had a good game. I mean, yeah. Goddard had 88 receiving yards until his last game. And then he became the first tight end all year to go over a hundred. Like that's how tight ends work and route participation. That's how that works. And I'm sure everyone will complain when he has, 
three yards this week, but that's how it works. Uh, for the other side of the ball, the Buccaneers, Mike Evans, DMP so far. We don't know yet if he's going to play. And I think there are two fallout options. And I'm curious where you have Chris Godwin ranked because as Sharp Football's Rich Rebar pointed out, Godwin targeted on eight of the 17 pass attempts Baker Mayfield threw before the bye when Mike Evans got hurt. Also, Trey Palmer, their explosive rookie, 4-3-9-40 at the Combine, uh, 32.5% target share, and his last year at Nebraska also ran as many routes as Godwin in the second half without Edwin. So Devin Tompkins popped for 445 and a touchdown, but given the usage, I think my pivots would be Godwin and then Palmer in that order. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I have Godwin right now. I have, I mean, I have Evans still ranked as a high-end wide receiver too uh, in this matchup, a very favorable I, matchup. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if he plays. I, I don't know if I'm, he plays either. I'm kind of uh, well, doubting the D- DMP after a bye week is pretty scary. Yeah, we'll see what he does tomorrow. Um, but, you know, if you're having to decide between him and a Thursday night receiver, I, I can't think of a receiver that would, I don't know. Only uh, Rasheed Rice. Sutton, I mean, Jerry Judy, the, the Chiefs are still top five in slot receivers. Uh, I think, he, I think you'd have a better – yeah, I was just getting at, like, I think you'd probably have a better fallback option than those the receivers tonight if you wanted to wait on Evans. Uh, it's just thinking three-dimensional chess type stuff there. But uh, Godwin, I think, you know, if Evans is out, Godwin's going to move up further. I've got him ranked as a, you know, mid-range wide receiver two right now. Uh Palmer had 75% of the snaps in week four and Devin Tompkins had 63% of the snaps and he's the one that pops. So that's interesting. Uh, but you, you like uh, uh, Palmer's uh, college profile better than, than Tompkins. And, oh yeah. And uh, Tompkins also isn't a rookie. He's been in the league for a couple years with the Bucks, right? I believe, yeah, I believe so. Um, and, Palmer has already scored a touchdown this year in three wide sets between Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. So he's already proven a little bit of production with the two better players on the field so far. Also quickly for deeper leagues, since we're all shuffling those stashes, uh, I did mention even in the waiver wire on the waiver show that I'm, I'm, I shuffled for Keyshawn Vaughn on a couple teams because in week three, Rashad White handled 89% of the team's backfield touches was terrible. And then Todd Bowles comes out after the game and says, just blatantly to the media that they didn't have a run game. And then what we saw in week four before the bye was Rashad White's role reduced to 64% of the touches and Keyshawn Bond then out-touched Sean Tucker 10-0. to Tucker was active, but only played nine special team snaps. So wherever you had those guys and rosters where you're stashing like Ronnie Rivers and everyone else on the bench, Jordan Mason included, I just include Keyshawn Bond among that group. Just someone to try to be ahead of. That way we don't have to spend all our fab. We're just we're just wasting a week. Cardinals at the Rams. Uh, quite easily, one of the highest totals on the board, given the indoor environment in a week where six, seven different games are sprinkled with weather, but also because, as we mentioned earlier, the Cardinals' soft defense. League low pressure rate. Blitzing at the 10th lowest rate in the league. Rams are averaging the most dropbacks in the league. And now we know that Cooper Cup and Pukunakua are at full strength. Cup, just one fewer route than Stafford's dropbacks last week as a full-time player, 35% target share to Nakua's 32%. And the Cardinals are also one of only four defenses, allowing over 10 yards per catch to opposing slot receivers. So this is the time to get in on everyone, Stafford included. 
Yeah, I mean, I think a, a Stafford uh, Nakua Cup stack is certainly appealing in this one. Now that they have Nakua, this is almost back to when Stafford had uh, Cup, uh, Brandon Cooks, and Robert Woods uh, trio. I mean, he's got weapons now. Uh, Tutu Atwell even scored last week. Higby's doing Higby things. Uh, and they got a decent running game uh, with Kyron Williams. So this is a certainly a spot with Stafford where I've got him at nine. I've got him at nine. That's as high as I've ranked him all year. I think it's a couple spots higher than consensus. Um, definitely starting him over guys like Kirk Cousins, Joe Burrow, Russell Wilson, uh, et cetera. So I think he's a, he's like the really fun streamer this week if you uh, have been doing that or if you've had him on the bench. This is a great time to plug him in. Uh, the Cardinals, 32nd in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks for the reasons you mentioned. And Kyron Williams has been quite literally the least efficient running back in the entire league last and next-gen stats rushing yards over expected last week. But it doesn't matter when you play for the offense averaging the most plays per game, and you get every touch. Since week two, when Cam Akers with healthy scratch and then traded, Kyron Williams has handled 90% of the team's backfield touches. Even last week, 15-16 to 16 over Ronnie Rivers, Zach Evans was active but played one special team snaps. No one else is coming for Kyron Williams' workload. So you keep firing him out there as an RB1 based solely on the offense and usage He's receiving on the other side of the ball for the Cardinals. We're also seeing their backfield shake out without James Connor. And I'm curious where you have Amari DiMercato and Keonta Ingram ranked. This is a dicey one uh, because Ingram was ahead of DiMercato all summer. And at the start of the year until his neck injury, He's set out a couple games, I believe. He's working his way back this week. Uh, the depth chart, I believe, says uh, Ingram is ahead of McLaughlin or ahead of uh, Mercado, De Mercado. Um, but I don't know how much that really means. Uh, I, I know everybody was running out and grabbing De Mercado off the waivers because he did have a decent fill-in game after Connor left last week, and the the indication seems to be well they'll continue to give him the ball. I'm not confident in him as a start. I think he's a decent like running back three. I've got him in the McLaughlin, uh, Wilson, Ezekiel Elliott, Justice Hill area um, because I'm not 100% confident that he's going to start or have more touches than Ingram does if Ingram comes back and is able to be a full go. Uh, Ingram's still dealing with a neck injury, so that might be enough to keep Di Mercado uh, on top, and that's why I've got him at 32 and Ingram at uh, 44. I have, I think, a lot more confidence than you and DeMarcado. And I actually don't even care what happened last week. Uh, this was baked into the waiver wire. Everyone was asking, what if Keonta Ingram comes back? Well, one, Keonta Ingram has 15 yards on 12 carries this year. He's been bad. But even if he were, and I expect him to actually start this game over DeMarcado, it doesn't matter because DeMarcado has been the team's pass catching back in those three games, even with James Conner and Ingram healthy. He ran 14 routes to Ingram seven, and in those three games, out-snapped Ingram 17-0 on third down. Ingram is not using the pass-catching game. And now we have the Cardinals as seven-point road dogs without James Conner. Like, even game script projects for this to be a Mercado game. And that doesn't even factor in that maybe they just like him because he's been better than Ingram every time they've seen him. So... 
even at DiMarcado's floor, I think he's the significantly better play and someone I'm totally confident in as an RB2 in PPR leagues, personally. I guess my I guess my one concern would be, and this may not matter for this week since uh, you know the Rams jump out to a lead, uh, but the Rams have yielded the second fewest re, uh, receiving yards to the running back position this year. That's just something to monitor. And for their passing tree beyond the running backs, it's pretty simple. Marquise Brown, 31% target share over the last month. And here's Zach Ertz, still top two in target share among tight ends. Yeah, uh, Rondale Moore, Michael Wilson is like, you know, whack-a-mole. Which one's going to have a decent game? Uh, you know, I, I, is Rondale Moore still running more routes than than yes, Wilson for, even after, you know, um, after the two-touchdown game? Yeah, what I think could happen, though, is maybe they use Rondell Moore a little more at running back. Um, as we saw with like Jameer Gibbs and so many other players, coaches think that's an idea, but then actually once you play real professional football out of the preseason, that is not something that exists. But Rondell Moore at least has th- three plus carries in two games this year. We saw him get more carries last week as well. So without James Conner, maybe they do start factoring him a little more into those types of packages. Yeah, couldn't he be a, a like a poor man's Debo? Isn't that what they how they described him? Uh, in the homeless past? man's Debo under the bridge. Not even poor. Poor is not acceptable for that role. Yeah. For the Eagles at the Jets, we are seeing a shift to giving DeAndre Swift more touches. We have relevant game scripts the last two weeks, and he's handled 75% of the team's backfield touches. His target share, he's coming off of a season high mark over 17%. And he's actually seen a double digit target share now in three of his last four games. So we're getting more confident usage as a low end RB one against a jets defense. Now that has allowed a league high five receiving touchdowns to opposing running backs. Yeah. And this is a, uh, uh, rush, uh, rush funnel defense. The jets, uh, are, are kind of mediocre against the pass, I guess, but they're, they're just fancy points allowed to quarterback is, they're sixth. Um, I think they're second uh, in adjusted fantasy points allowed to receivers. Yes, second. Uh, and they are 25th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. They have yielded the fourth most rushing yards uh, this season. So we should see a very run-heavy game plan from the uh, uh, from the Eagles that should feature Swift as a you know high-end RB two, uh, perhaps as a low-end RB one this week. And a separation, finally, for A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith because over their last three games now, 35 targets for Brown to Devonta Smith's 19. You're still starting Devonta Smith, but it's not as clear-cut as everyone thought it would be since Brown has now emerged as a wide receiver one among Smith's wide receiver two status. Yeah, I think Smith's, uh, you know, these are arguably the two most talented receivers. I get, you know, duo, you could also... You know Hill and Waddle, perhaps, or you know some other options out there. But um, I think Devonta Smith's really good. I just think they've kind of gone away from him the last few weeks. AJ Brown was complaining about his role uh, a few weeks ago, and then got fed. And then Dallas Goddard had a big game last week, so kind of Devonta kind of was the third option. Um, this is a week where I'm worried about Devonta, given these trends. Uh, you know AJ Brown has has been the clear number one. Uh, I'm a little bit worried about Devonta. I've got him ranked as a wide receiver low-end wide receiver two, high-end wide receiver three this week uh, against a very stingy uh, Jets defense. And I think this is going to be, uh, you know, a run-heavy game plan for the Eagles, as I mentioned before. Eagles have been a pass funnel. 
allowing the fourth most points per game to opposing wide receivers. But we've seen now with Zach Wilson that it still comes down to Garrett Wilson catching a touchdown in order to return even wide receiver two production. Otherwise, he just can't get there. Wide receiver 39 and wide receiver 46 the past two games because he didn't score a touchdown. So where do you have him ranked in this otherwise juicy matchup this week? Yeah, I looked at the these run-pass splits for the Eagles defense, so opponents against them, and it's pretty stark. Like I, I don't think that the Jets are going to be able to run very well on the Eagles, and they're going to have to to throw the ball. Uh, you know, looking at Wilson's game log, uh, as you mentioned, it's it's pretty grim if he doesn't catch a touchdown. He did in the last three games five for forty eight, nine for sixty, which is fine in PPR, right? Nine catches, sixty yards, fifteen points. And then three for 54 on seven targets uh, against Denver. But I do think he has one of these 10 plus, 12 plus target games. That's what he, that's how he got the nine for 60 against the Chiefs. He had 14 targets in that game. I think he's targeted very heavily in this one. Uh, probably gets there just through volume alone because, you know, it's not going to be on an efficiency basis with Zach Wilson throwing the ball. Zach Wilson has flashes where he looks decent. Um, and, this is one where they're going to have to lean on him to throw the ball because you're just going to have trouble running it, I think. And I'm sure everyone is curious where you have Brees Hall ranked, as we said, against this pass funnel, uh, given the Eagles' stout run defense. Hall, of course, coming off of a career-high 22 carries, a season-high 76% or 72% of their team's running back touches, and a 10.2% target share. And there's still meat on this bone, considering Michael Carter actually ran a route on 48% of dropbacks to Hall's 31%. So we think the usage definitely can continue to grow, but again, it's a tough matchup. Yes, I think heading into last week, we were optimistic based on uh, Robert Sala's comments that they might be ramping him up. We did kind of parse out uh, the full quote so that we could see what he was actually talking about, and it did sound like they did want to get Hall going. But it also was just Hall running against the Denver defense last week. And as I mentioned earlier, Denver defense is last in the league and rushing and last in the league and a lot of things. Uh, so breakout game for Hall. I would not expect a repeat this week against Philly. I've got him ranked as an RB2 at 20, you know, just hoping that he sees 16 touches and gets some work through the air and they don't take him off the field as much uh, uh, on passing down so to allow him to, to gain some fantasy points that way because I think that's how the Jets are going to move the ball in this one. For the Sunday night game between the Giants at the Bills, Daniel Jones DMP through Thursday. We have no idea with this other neck injury, which was never promising when they said that. Oh, it's a different neck injury. Well, that's great. I guess that it's not the same one. Uh, the neck is very small. I'm still very much worried. But the Bills are clearly 14 and a half point favorites for a very good reason. So how are you handling the Bills offense and what is going to be absolute destruction. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the, the, the risk of offenses against the giants that, that, you know, Geno Smith only attempting 20 passes. I think you mentioned earlier against the giants before the bye. Uh, there is some concern here with that. I think the bills like to run it up. If they can, they may have to pull their starters in the third quarter in this one. If, if, uh, Tyrod Taylor starts and can't keep it close. Uh, he might be better than Daniel Jones right now. I don't know. Uh, but right now I don't have Jones playing. I don't expect him to play. And, you know, they're, they're probably going to try a run-heavy game plan if Saquon Barkley can go. The Bills have been um, susceptible to the run. Uh, 
Uh, they're pretty tough against the pass, so they'd be wise to just try to shorten the game. Uh, that might hurt Josh Allen as well offensively if he doesn't have as many possessions. Um, so there are some concerns here, really, uh, obviously for both sides, I mean, the Giants offense in general, but also just volume for for the Bills. But you, you're not benching John, Josh Allen. You have to start him. I think maybe the, you're not benching Stefan Diggs. I think the guys you're, you're maybe thinking about are uh, um, Gabe Davis, uh, Dawson Knox, if uh, Dalton Kincaid sits. Uh, you're sort of wondering about those players, those fringe players, if there's going to be enough volume to go around against this Giants defense. And Latavius Murray, if you're desperate, because this backfield has become a timeshare. Everyone is trying to get excited about James Cook, but over the last month, he hasn't handled more than 61% of the team's backfield touches in any game. And he's been under 60% in three of four. In week one, for reference, he handled 73% of their touches. This has become a 55, 20, uh, what's the math from there? 25 timeshare between him, Murray, and Damian Harris. So I'm even plugging in Latavius Murray in some spots where like, I just don't have another option because I'm confident with it at this game script. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see like if, if the Bills are blowing out the Giants in the in the middle of the third quarter, do they do they start leaning on Murray or do they just turn the keys, hand the keys over to Harris because they deem Latavius Murray too valuable to their offense right now, given you know everything going on with James Cook in the, in the running game? For the Giants, pretty simple. Uh, you would think we could attack the Bills with no Matt Milano and Tredavious White, but not in this game. Uh, so let's just say if Saquon Barkley comes back, where are you ranking him? So I've got him at 16, and let me know what you if you agree with this. I'd start Pacheco, Derrick Henry, DeAndre Swift over him. I would probably, if, if Barkley is a full go, I would probably start him over Alexander Madison, Roshan Johnson, James Cook, Brees Hall. Uh, like that's just, I just feel like he's going to see 15 to 18 touches uh, in a loss, uh, but he might be able to make some hay here against this Bills defense who's been susceptible against the run and now they're without uh, Milano. I mean, the Giants still haven't scored a touchdown in the first half, like, and may have Tyra Taylor under center. Like, what the hell do you do with Saquon Barkley? Uh, yeah, I guess you start him as a low end RB two. Yeah, I mean, but... it's at sixteen right now. This is as low, you know. This is very low for Barkley given his talent and role in this offense. But given this, you know, surrounding cast and this, you know, way this game is setting up, it's not pretty. Gosh, yeah, I guess that's how I treat him. Low end RB two, but man, it's it's not pretty. Yeah, this they're just so bad. They are so so bad, and they're on prime time again. That's the most frustrating part about all of it. Moving on to Monday night between the Cowboys and the Chargers, expecting it to be more of a home game for Dallas, given that they train and train in the summer in Oxnard. But this Cowboys offense is so underwhelming and disappointing. Uh, they have made Dak Prescott a game manager, bottom six and depth of target. He's getting rid of the ball from snap to throw at the 13th quickest time in the league, and that's why no one's getting there because they're not taking deep shots. Whenever they take deep shots, it's just hopeless prayers like his one toss downfield in the second half on Sunday night that resulted in an interception. So it's just hard, even in a what should be a favorable game script. It's just hard to have faith in anyone outside of CeeDee Lamb and Tony Pollard for touches here. 
They are 21st in yards per play. They suck. Uh, <laughs> they're so they're not even fun to watch either. They were 15th uh, last year, but you know, really a pretty good scoring team last year. Third uh, decided to fire their offensive coordinator. Yeah, this is a, a little bit of a weird game because out here in uh, LA, there aren't that many Charger fans. There are tons of uh, Dallas fans. Dallas fans tend to travel very well. I'm sure a lot of them will come out to uh, LA here to play or to, to watch this game uh, at SoFi Stadium. So it's probably be a home game for the for the uh, Cowboys. Um, there's a couple things going on here because Kellen Moore is now the OC for the. Uh, Chargers, and I'm sure he's going to want to run up the score if he can on Dallas, but Dallas has a good defense. Uh, Dak Prescott, we were worried about him in the preseason with Mike McCarthy calling the plays, trying to establish a run further. Uh, it's become a less efficient offense. As you mentioned, there are issues with him being a game manager, just lower depth of target, not pushing the ball downfield. This is a nice matchup, though, against the Chargers, 30th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterback. So there is upside here. Uh, if perhaps the the Cowboys want to run up the score on and, and Mike McCarthy's worried about uh, looking bad against his uh, old OC. I mean, so, they got a score. They got a score to run up the score. Yeah. They got a score to run up the score. It's a good point. So, you know, Prescott, I've got ranked as a mid range uh, QB two. I don't have a ton of confidence in him at this point, but he does. They do have talent in this offense and it is a good matchup against the chargers. Allard is still getting the second most touches among all running backs per game. But even he, and I don't, I don't blame him, even though he hasn't been explosive, uh, literally 53rd in yards after contact per attempt. But even he, you keep starting for the touches, but the way they use him, it's just the play calling is so bad and so slow. So losing faith in everyone. I've seen some Brandon Cooks buy low, given the Cowboys' upcoming pass schedule. But Brandon Cooks is the wide receiver, 100 in points per game. Like buy low, just pick him up off the waiver wire. Who cares? I'd rather have. I mean, I'd rather have Gallup at this point. Sure. Than yeah. Brandon Cooks. Yeah. Uh, on, on, Pollard, on Pollard, I just wanted to mention Hayden Winks had a good uh, chart uh, how yards before contact and yards after contact are correlated. You know, if player, if a running back, and it makes sense now. You think about it. As a player is able to gain momentum, gain speed, uh, it's a lot easier to gain yards after contact if he's got you know three or four yards to gain the speed. So I thought it was interesting. Uh, maybe that's what's going on with this uh, Dallas offense because I think Pollard was really good in those metrics last year. It's not good. Where do you have C.D. Lamb ranked, by the way? Nine. I mean, in theory, uh, Chargers, uh, 28th adjusted fantasy points allowed to the receiver position. He's seeing consistent seven targets a game. I think this is probably one where he there's more passing volume for the for the Cowboys than is it you know the Chargers should be able to put up a fight on the scoreboard. So I think they do throw the ball a little bit more and I think Lamb should get there. Uh but you know he's not seeing the alpha one type targets we would like to have him see given his talent level. And for the Chargers, just looking for Maybe a usage bump here, as we talked about earlier. Josh Palmer did run as many routes as Keenan Allen as we expected before the bye without Mike Williams against the Raiders. Led the team in target share, although he really only got there because it's 50-yard catch in the fourth quarter. Otherwise, it wasn't going well whatsoever. Quentin Johnston, still the team's primary third wide receiver. Maybe we see a slight more increase to get Johnston a little more usage. I know he was dropped over the bye week in some leagues. Certainly someone I'm picking up for the long-term haul, just in case. Anything on Austin Eckler you want to touch on or in this offense before we get out of here? 
Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing Eckler back. I mean, he was the he did outscore Christian McCaffrey in Week One. Uh, I had him ranked as my overall RB one this week heading into the se- or this year heading into the season. McCaffrey at two because I was a bit worried about Elijah Mitchell's uh, workload. Uh, McCaffrey's workload with Elijah Mitchell healthy. Uh, Mitchell's not healthy, but it didn't matter. McCaffrey was getting the bell cow uh, touches from the start. They're not afraid to use him this year. You know, after signaling last year that they wanted to limit him. Uh, but getting Eckler back is always great. He's a great fantasy guy, uh, great uh, cheerleader for the fantasy industry and just the you know fantasy football in general. Uh, I think discussing, just touching on Johnston, this is one of these long-term, short-term things. If you need starters now or need plug-in player now, Joshua Palmer is certainly more startable right now. I want to see Johnston start to get more involved in the offense before uh, you know trusting him, but he is a good stash. Now, his snaps jumped a lot once Mike Williams was out. Uh, so he should start seeing more opportunity. Uh, as for Palmer, you know, you mentioned the 50 yard catch. He also had like a 30 or 40 yard catch that he dropped. So he could have easily had between 20 yards receiving and a hundred and uh, somewhere on that spectrum. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there, you know, he caught one of the two, so he, he did get there with, I guess, three for 77, I think on that. So he, he was a, you know, certainly a favorite target of Herbert. And I, you know, I want to see it before I'm going to try to, trust uh, Quentin Johnston in the lineup, but a good stash, as you mentioned. And I still have confidence in these players because, again, given the injuries to Dallas's defense, we question what they would look like against relevant offenses. And against the Cardinals and the 49ers, they looked absolutely miserable. So good offenses so far. We can go ahead and continue playing against what is perceived to be, might be, but what is perceived to be a stout Dallas defense. With that, Paulson, what else do you have coming up for everyone this week? Uh, sneaky starts was dropped yesterday. Uh, breakout receiver models up as well. Matt Savoka is covering that. It's a great uh, tool for DFS and for some lineup decisions. If you're looking for upside in your in your lineup, I'll be doing a Discord chat here in about an hour and twenty minutes. Uh, so you get to hear my wonderful voice again for another hour. If you have any questions, and then just uh, you know keeping up uh, super chat tomorrow with uh, Addison. Uh, on YouTube and uh, keep up with the rankings. And I will be back for the DFS show Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern with myself, TG Hernandez and Pat Corain. So until the next time you see both of us at the end of this week, remember, be a little bit kinder. We'll see you next time.